today on Ag News Daily. The thing with wheat that is is interesting that has really been kind of the crux of the issue over the last few years is that everyone grows wheat, right? Well, this year, everyone had a shorter crop. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, your co-host on today's Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Hannah Pagel. Hannah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. It's a you know, it's a beautiful day out, but it's like kind of cloudy up in northeast Iowa here, and the sun is shining a little bit, but I've heard thunder, and it's just like so weird. All of a sudden, I hear this like big roll of thunder, but like there's no cloud in sight, so it's been kind of interesting just to mm. listen, and I mean, there's not really much for watching, but watch too. You know, wasn't it Friday we had the blood moon, Hannah? It was Friday. Did you get a glimpse of that, Mike? I did, but now I'm concerned we had blood moon. Now we've got thunder coming out of nowhere. I'm hoping this isn't the end of days. Oh, well, you have to think positively. Remember we had a discussion about this last week? So be excited that it's the end of days. Uh, Well, that's one way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, you know what? We've got some stuff to be excited about. We'll be doing our Hashtag Market Monday discussion with Angie Setzer. So, folks, stay tuned because we've got green on the screen yet again this Monday in the grain markets. Uh, not, Not quite so much in the meats, as we'll get to in just a little bit. But, Hannah, before we jump into that, what do you say? Should we talk through the news? I say let's do that, Mike. Do you have anything that's jumping out to you? You know, I do. I thought this was interesting, sort of uh, right off the bat. It is a Monday, you know, things are kind of dull, but we've got good news here. If you are a grower, particularly a specialty crop producer, whether it's berries or uh, some type of of high-value vegetables, one of the biggest challenges you're going to have is keeping birds away from your crops. And luckily, the folks down at the University of Georgia have been doing some cutting-edge research into how to keep birds away. And Hannah, do you know what they found is one of the best ways to do it? Uh, A scarecrow? What is it, Mike? Basically, you're on the right track. Have you ever been to a used car lot and they've got those tube men that dance around in the the air that blows up through them? Oh, yeah. Those, like, dancing-looking thingies. Yes, the dancing-looking guys, that is one of the most effective ways to keep birds out of specialty crops. Huh. Well, you know, we should, I should tell that to my dad because we have a a wraparound porch on our barn and we have the darndest time keeping birds out from making a mess, from making a nest, excuse me. So I'll have to tell that to my dad. We just need to go get one of those inflatable blow-up dancing men. You bet. And then you guys can start selling used cars and you'll already have your marketing in place. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like the sounds of that, but <laughs> I'll try the first part. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's my news to kick off the day. Hannah, what, what have you found? Well, mine's not as fun as your news, Mike, but just a little update here on Capitol Hill. So progress is slowly continuing this week with the farm bill. So the House is not in action technically until September because they are recessed, but Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he had canceled the chamber's recess, and so they are going to be continuing to work on the farm bill with the Senate um, through August, so hopefully we can see some movement in that area, but the Senate is also looking to name its team of farm bill negotiators this week, so we can keep our listeners posted as to who's going to be on that that uh 
that committee, and hopefully we can just, like I said, start seeing some movement in this area. Yeah, fingers crossed on that. You know, on Friday I had the chance to attend a farm-to-table dinner at Cinnamon Ridge Farms, and uh, we've had them on the podcast before. There was about 200 people and a lot of folks from uh politics uh, congressional representatives and you know state folks and all of them came back to you know this is a big year between trade and farm bill there's a lot going on in dc and it's important to uh, make sure farmers voices are heard and and i think that's exactly right mhm that's for sure you know i think one of the areas where farmers voices have been heard by this administration is in the trade war side of things we've uh, raised a lot of stink about um you know the tariffs back and forth and what that's done to soybean prices. And so U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo gave a speech earlier today to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and he announced that the U.S. will be spending $113 million in energy and infrastructure initiatives in Asia, excluding China, um, over the course of this next year. So basically what they're looking to do is they're looking to sort of build up the rest of Asia to ensure that his quote is there is a free and open Asia, not dominated by any one country. Uh, kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to mm-hmm. uh, talking about China there. Exactly. And uh, it's sort of a way to make sure that Americans are continually thought of as allies to most of these other countries. And hopefully those places will become buyers of our goods, especially soybeans as we go out throughout the year. You know, you're right, Mike. Whenever I think of Asia, I hate to say it, but the first thing that does come to mind is China. And so it's good that we are going to be investing in these other countries in the Asia area. So good news. Yes, indeed. Well, again, I'm going to roll it back to the Capitol Hill here. So EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, he's going to be testifying this week. Um, which will be the first time since he has taken the position over Scott Pruitt. So some of the main topics of discussion include the pending vapor pressure waiver that would allow year-round sales of E15, and he's going to be testifying before the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee on Wednesday. So we will have an update for our listeners come Wednesday. All right, maybe we can get that waiver in place and uh, actually start finally moving E15 year-round. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about China and Brazil with Angie Setzer here in just a bit. But last week, there was a meeting in Johannesburg, South Africa, and it was a meeting of the BRICS, B-R-I-C-S. It was the BRICS Summit, and that stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, sort of five emerging nations. And it was noticed by a lot of journalists that Brazil's president, Michel Temer, was being awfully cozy with China's president, Xi Jinping. And uh, apparently after the conference was over, China announced that they are going to look at some of the tariffs and trade barrier barriers that China has put in place on Brazilian products, particularly sugar and poultry imports. And Michel Temer is hoping to get those eliminated or at least reduced now that they've got a friendlier relationship with the country of China. Huh. Okay. You know, it kind of goes back to when I was interviewing those two farmers from Brazil. You know, they made the, the, the comment that, um, you know, about China, you know, it's, they're great to see that their relationship with China is becoming better, but they did make the comment that they're hoping that, you know, come a couple years, China doesn't do the same thing to Brazil that China is doing to us. So that's kind of interesting. 
it is indeed what goes around comes around uh, seems to uh, to jump out in my mind when we start talking about this kind of stuff. That's for sure. Hmm. Well, well, let's see. Hannah, do you have any other news for us before we jump into the markets? You know, I just want to touch briefly on this last piece here. Uh, so the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Services, APHIS, is going to begin their program of its annual distribution of the oral rabies vaccine. So apparently they're going to start this out in the eastern part of the United States on August 1st, but it's just a, a type of bait that they're just going to start randomly dispersing it around different parts of the, the country in the eastern eastern part of the country. And it's safe for more than 60 species. So if like a cat or a dog or, you know, a pet got into it, like it'd be okay. But it's supposed to, excuse me, it's supposed to vaccinate raccoons, which I didn't realize there must be a big raccoon population on the East Coast. Did you? you know, it makes sense. There's a lot of people and a lot of garbage. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. But there's... I, I think that's what all that raccoons eat. <laughs> It kind of reminds me if you've seen the movie The Great Outdoors when the raccoons get into the trash and all fun stuff. That's the John Candy movie, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently they're going to try to get ahead of rabied raccoons heading into the Midwest. So if we have any Eastern listeners, you know, if you see some bait out there, it's okay. Don't really let your pets or animals eat it. But if they do get into it, you are okay. So... Well, that is good to know. Less rabies is a good thing. That's right. But, uh, well, Mike, what do you think? Should we get into the markets today? We've got a great discussion with Angie Setzer coming up. Absolutely. Let's jump right in there. And, folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends over at the Zaner Group. Give them a call. Put together a marketing plan. Lay some of that marketing risk aside. Sleep a little easier as we get close to harvest season by calling 312-277-0050 or visit their website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. As I mentioned, we've got green all the way down the screen in the grains today, starting with the corn market. The September contract up five and a quarter cents at 367 and a quarter. December up a nickel to close at 381 and a quarter. In soybeans, the August contract up eight, seven, excuse me, up four and a half cents to close at 875. November up five and three quarters, finished the day at 891 even. And the real excitement continued to be in the wheat pit to start off the week. September Chicago wheat up 16 cents on the day, finished at 5 The December contract up 16.5 cents, closed at 5.66.5. Looking over on the livestock side, the cattle complex was not green. The August live cattle contract was down 20 cents at 108.42.50, with October down 67.5 cents to close at 109.80. Feeder cattle, similar red on the screen. The August contract down 80 cents at 151.50. September down 82.5 to close at 151.35. And mixed trade in lean hogs with the August contract down 35 cents to close at 63.30 with the October up 35 to finish at 51.22.50. And of course, we've got one day left here in uh, National Ice Cream Month. So let's check on our friends in the dairy industry. July, Class 3 milk, which is basically expired, that was down 2 cents at 14.12. The August contract down 12 cents today to close at 14.90. Before we get to our hashtag Market Monday discussion, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. 
With us again this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Latham has folks with boots on the ground throughout the growing season, keeping track of what's going on in the crops and in the fields. And Phil, you've been out. What have you seen? What's jumping out at you this year? Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of things overtaking crops yet, but we're right at that point where it's getting to the point, you know, we want to be considered a fungicide if that's the case. And one one disease that's been jumping out, it's a really distinctive one. For those that have seen it, it's called Physoderma brown spot. Uh, it shows up as a kind of a purple or kind of chocolate-colored brown spots right in the midriff of the leaf and even can show up on the stalk of the plant, uh, on the corn plant. So it's, it's a very diagnostic disease. Uh, a fungal disease that can't be treated with a with a fungicide around our one time period. You just got to check and make sure that those labels are are labeled for physoderma brown spot. Make sure that you're you're diagnosing the disease correctly. It can be misdiagnosed. Uh, southern rust as well as eye spot can kind of look similar in terms of of leaf symptoms. Um, but 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 a fungicide and some good rotation and even maybe some tillage might be necessary to help help with control. All right, folks, keep all that in mind. And always remember, Latham High Tech Seeds has expertise across the Midwest. And to put that to work on your farm, give them a shout at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit the website at LathamSeeds.com. Folks, it is Hashtag Market Monday on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And joining us today is our good friend, Angie Setzer. Angie, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me on. Now, one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you today is because we get to kick off the conversation doing something we haven't done since the Ag News Daily podcast started, and that's get excited about the wheat market. You deal with some uh, some wheat growers there in Michigan. Tell us what's happening here. We're up 16 cents on the day in the September contract. Holy cow. Is this all Europe-based? Yeah, we're- well, a lot of it's Europe-based. Most of it, I would say, is, is Russian-based, but I guess you could say it's all everyone-based, right? Um, the thing with wheat that is is interesting that, that has really been kind of the crux of the issue over the last few years is that everyone grows wheat, right? Well, this year, everyone had a shorter crop than what, what they would want to normally see. So it's really kind of played into a lot of things. We've seen the the southern plains, uh, of course, had had limited production. Soft red wheat belt acreage was down uh, relatively significantly, so production's been down that way as well. Uh, Canada uh, production looks like it's going to be lower there. Uh, Europe, of course, they're dealing with a, a record-setting heat wave, drought, um, all kinds of, of terrible things there. And then you get into the Black Sea region, Russia, Ukraine, areas like that. And they had a drought that was followed by rain at harvest, which is the worst thing um, that you can have for wheat because they're, you know, we're starting to see pictures floating around of, of wheat sprouted and, and uh, you know, terrible issues like that. Once a, a wheat head sprouts, you, you're almost tempted just to mow it down. I mean, it'll be decent for feed, but it has no value when it comes to, to human consumption, you know, to really speak of. So you, you've got some northern hemisphere uh, issues there. And then you have Australia, and the forecast for Australia looks to continue to get worse, and they've been dealing with the drought for the last several years, and it appears as though conditions are going to to remain hot and dry, if not turn hotter and drier, and there's talk of El Nino kicking in this winter. So, I mean, from an overall standpoint, you look at current USDA estimates without any further cuts to production outlook, 
And the major exporters in the in the country in the world, excuse me, uh, the major exporters in the world are looking at the second tightest carryout, you know, really on record. Um, it's really easy to look, and, it, and I've been saying this for the last couple of years, it's really easy to look at overall world stocks and feel comfortable that they're more than adequate. It was really easy, and, and it has been anyway, because we've had, to, you know, reasonable levels of stocks and Russian prices have been cheap and things like that, to ignore the fact that China's share of those burdensome stocks was 52%. So, you know, when it comes down to it, the world's wheat is sitting in the hands of China and everyone else. And so the Chinese wheat's not going anywhere. It's, it's low quality. There's even reports that their wheat crop this year is, is sprouted and moldy and just full of lots of yuck. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of issues that are going on, and uh, that's going to cause some, some excitement. You know, the last time, it, it seems like in wheat you're either – you know, sub $4 and just can't seem to, to buy a rally or, you know, you're up 10, 15 cents a, a day trying to, to just see how quickly you can get it to where it's too expensive to have bread, you know. And, and so that's where we're at right now. Lots of well, people like the story. It's, it's a sexy story. And, and here we are. And, you know, that kind of leads right to my next question. We've got the winter wheat harvest, as you mentioned, ongoing. It's you know, kind of starting to wrap up in some places. But if I'm a wheat producer, we've put 60, 80 cents on this Chicago contract here in just the past 10, 15 days. Angie, yeah. if it's if it's climbed 80 cents, surely it'll mm-hmm. climb 90, right? <laughs> well, you know, you'll get that. I have a few guys that are, are saying that, hey, it's, you know, it's come up this far. It's got to keep going, right? And, right. And, uh yeah, it works. What is it? 60% of the time it works every time or whatever. I mean, it's really just one of those things where, um, to me, unfortunately, most folks that are really active traders in the wheat market are already well aware of the issues that have gone up. So, like, you've seen headline risk in the last couple months when it came to corn and soybean prices and, and wheat prices, but the pressure that was in, in corn and soybeans came more from a lot of folks who weren't necessarily 100% um, educated, you could say, on how soybeans or corn, quote unquote, should be trading, that we're simply reading headlines and saying, well, heck, I mean, trade wars, good weather, we should be selling this. And so the same can be true on the other side. And, and so what's taking place in wheat right now is production shortages, you know, real big issues across the world. I better be getting in and buying this thing. And eventually someone will say, you know, okay, um, we've, we've overdone it to the upside. The problem with wheat is you don't know when that is until it's, you know, two days later and you're down 50 cents and, and you're sad. Um, and so the wheat market really likes to just sort the the men from the boys, for lack of a better term. My friend Mike O'Day is a, a wheat trader in Kansas City, and he posted something today, a quote, you know, from, from Randy Wallace that said, sometimes the best thing for a market is a good old axe murder. And that's the wheat market. So what it's going to do right now is it's going to punish everyone that's been shorting this thing for however long they've been shorting it. It's going to make them regret the fact that they have been shorting it. It's going to go well beyond where it should go to the upside for what's actually transpiring in the, the global market structure. And, and then we'll see what will happen. But I can tell you right now, looking at 587 futures on the July 19, you know, a lot of my customers have already locked in 6-plus out that way when it was available a month or so ago. And they, if we get back up to that $6 mark, they're going to be looking at getting rid of corn acres, bean acres. You know, for, for a, a grower in Michigan, we're special. 
albeit because we are able to yield 80 to 100 bushels to the acre. So it's a whole different story when it comes to profitability than the folks in the south or even out west. But, you know, they're looking at, at increasing their wheat acres pretty significantly, and, and with the right, right kind of weather, then that changes. But the wheat story itself is not going anywhere, you know, for, for quite some time. And Angie, I want to switch gears over into the corn market. We are up five today, which is good news to have some green on the screen. But I have kind of an interesting question for you. So recapping on our growing season, you know, we started kind of from winter and basically skipped spring and went right into summer. And then we had like an abundance amount of heat early on. And then it switched over and we had a nice cool down during the late pollination um, season. And so I guess my question for you is around the 4th of July weekend, you know, my dad was up in Northeast Iowa and I was down in Ames and we both heard the Zarkadias chirping. And my dad has always told me that there's like this old folklore out there that said once you hear the Zarkadias chirping, six weeks from that time, you have the potential to run into a frost. And so now that we are approaching that time since we first heard these Zarkadias, I guess my first question to you is, have you seen any signs of an early frost or even an early fall? And secondly, what effects would an early frost have on the crop and the market? Well, right now I'm, I'm not seeing any. In fact, the, the opposite story is probably going to be hitting the market. Uh, and maybe that was part of what we saw happen today. But I, I think if, if realized, it could be a big deal. The, the models right now are pointing towards, you know, exceptional heat through the first part of, of August starting this weekend. Um, so it's, it's the opposite to be true. Some are saying that it could be the hottest, um, you know, hottest weather we've seen so far this summer, which is definitely saying something considering we were so warm, you know, it felt like it's been 95 degrees since Memorial Day. And so this little stretch right here has been nice. It reminds me of my summers back in Michigan. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the opposite is true right now. And I, I have to say that for the most part now, we have a long way to go in, in certain parts. I mean, we're very uneven in some areas. There are places that are just starting to pollinate. There are places that are starting to dent in the, you know, in across Illinois into Indiana, out here into to northern Iowa. You know, we're just, there's fields that have been tasseled since the 4th. There's fields that are trying to tassel right now, you know, because of the wet spring and, and stuff like that. So, if we were to see an early frost, you know, it would be a pretty significant production or uh pattern shift, um, but it's not out of the question by any means. If we were to see it, though, I would say that, uh, you know, with as well as this market has shaken off most everything, it'll probably kind of shake that off. But it would be a huge issue in the sense that it would impact test weight. Um, the worst year I've ever traded cash grain was in, <laughs> excuse me, 2009, and we had a mid-September frost that year. 52-pound um, test weight, you know, it'd break when you looked at it. It was just an awful, awful crop. And, uh, so I, I, as much as I'm not looking forward to heat, I think I'd rather have that than cold this early. But um, at this point, it does look like we'll be talking more about heat, at least through the first part of, of August, than um, early frost potential. So, Angie, we'll be talking about heat. That will probably be a bullish story here in the corn market. And we've also got the wheat story ongoing and this sort of global rush back into feed grains. With those two factors What's your take? If I'm a grower who is uh, undersold a little bit on my uh, new crop corn, what price targets should I have in mind on the uh, on the board? 
Well, it, it's something you got to pay attention to in the sense that how soon are you going to have to move it? You know, how much time do you have to wait and, and how much capacity do you have to withstand risk? Uh, we had started to put trades on, you know, last winter around this 380, 385 December 18 level. I'm not ashamed to ad- admit it simply because those were HGAs that we were putting in place where we were going to anticipate the, the carry between the Ds and the July to to get out to about 25, 30 cents, which the the opportunity had presented itself, it put us into above $4 futures. If you look today, we're at 402 on the July, 397 on the May, 392 on the the March board. And, you know, to be completely honest, if you were sitting here, you know, 30, 25, 30 cents ago, wondering how you were going to make it because you were 10, 15 cents in the the red, then obviously if you're in a, a profitable position, it doesn't hurt to take a look at, at uh, offsetting some of the risk. Most of my customers, though, were simply waiting for, for uh, you know, to get back into that insurance level range, 390 395 to $4, perhaps to add some additional hedges in place. I think with what's going on in corn, I am, am optimistic. I mean, I, I think you'll see March 19 give you an opportunity to sell it for four twenty four twenty five again. It doesn't mean you sit and wait for those numbers to come, you know, and that, so that's the hardest part. When you start talking price, then people assume that you're automatically mean, well, you just sit, you know, and wait for your bus to come and pick you up at 425 and you'll be good. No. So you've got to have a, a plan in place ahead of that. But I do think there'll be some reasonable pricing opportunities, especially if we were to see the USDA come out and leave yield unchanged um, in the August report you know, or or only raise it a, a bushel or, God forbid, they lower it. I don't think that's possible in today's day and age. But, um, you know, it's it's really – there's a, a lot of really positive things happening in corn, very similar to what we saw happening in wheat two, two three months ago. But, you know, how do you convince the market of that until it's, it's basically very obvious that it's taken place? And, of course, we don't know how obvious it'll be. I, I just – I don't trust the – the USDA necessarily um, to to be in line with myself, I guess, when it comes to yield expectations. So I'm the one that's wrong in that. The USDA, of course, is the, has the final say. But, um, you know, to me, I think there's a lot happening in supply and demand. And I think that we're really kind of underestimating the fact that the corn, for corn, we, the US, the U.S., are the only real suppliers with available supply between now and, and what could be June of next year. Um, you know, Brazil, is the with the trade deals going on, unless that's suddenly resolved over the next couple of weeks and the soybean price collapses for them, their first crop is going to be heavy beans. Um, and so they're going to be growing a lot of beans, and, and uh, which is going to cut into their ability to, to grow first crop corn. So you're going to have to wait until second crop corn production to really produce any sort of deliverable supply into the export market. And so I have a lot, you know, I, I said it the other day, it's kind of like shopping at Kmart. If you live in Algona, Iowa, you may not like Kmart, but you have one option and it's Kmart. And that's kind of what we are. We are the world's Kmart when it comes to corn this year. So that's going to be fun too. And Angie, you, you touched briefly on the soybean market there. So I want to get into that a little bit, you know, looking at the market, we're up four or five cents today. And we're going to be getting into August here very shortly. And with August, that comes a lot of hot temperatures, and hot temperatures can hurt or damage beans quite significantly. So, if we have some hurt beans out there, the price should the price should rise, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to be battling right now between 
the ideas or the the negative weight of trade uncertainty. Uh, I would think, though, eventually the market would recognize the fact that our exports are not suffering, even if China isn't back. Um, we are, again, maybe the world's Kmart when it comes to soybeans because Brazil is is uh, working closely with China. And uh, so everyone else has to be able to buy beans from somewhere, and, and that means us. Um, so demand-wise, I think the USDA was, was very preemptive in that 200 million bushel cut um, to export demand, but they were also overly aggressive by adding in that 200 million bushel in May to begin with. Um, so I think we can kind of shake off or, or maybe reevaluate how big of an impact the trade wars will have. But there's still the 500-pound gorilla in the room. Um, even at a 48.5 bushel to the acre yield, we have more than adequate carryout for next year, um, which could kind of limit price, um, you know, a, a price increase. But uh, if we start to see a cut to, to bushel amount, to, you know, if, if you take one bushel to the acre off from current carryout estimates, you lose, you know, 89 million um, bushels. That's almost 100 million. Uh, that was maybe a 50 million bushel increase, and suddenly things change. So. I'm I'm optimistic for beans as well. I think right now uh, we way oversold to the downside across the board when it came to, to corn and wheat especially. Uh, and I know soybeans ha- took the biggest hit from where they were, um, of course. But I think beans will, will kind of need to bounce back. We've already seen some indication of that happening. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the, the November board head up towards that 950 range if we see that heat continue and we start to recognize that we have a, you know, have damaged the the bean crop. Outstanding. Always things to look forward to, Angie. We get into this time of year. And just on a side note, you are a cash mm-hmm. grains merchandiser. When we get into this time yeah. of year, how much is your phone ringing? How, how much are growers actually looking to make trades for our listeners who aren't engaged in crop production? Well, with wheat, I'm exceptionally busy right now, of course, because we just we just wrapped up with harvest. Um, and, uh, we are, you know, really kind of just taking care of what's been in the bin, um, you know, what has come in and, and been, um, been, uh, you know, sitting in our, our elevator, of course, we're reaching the end of the month. I give free DP through the end of July. So that makes me much busier, you know, this time of year because I am handling wheat on top of everything else. Um, but with beans, I mean, most of our beans are gone. I would say 95% of my beans are, are moved and, when it comes to new crop, we were exceptionally aggressive ahead of the, the market dropping. That's not me, you know, patting myself on the back or trying to act like we don't lose here. We just really work. We're, you know, we're 60, 70% sold, and, and so there's really no reason to, to communicate about that last little bit until they are ready to ship, until we know what we've got for yields at harvest and stuff like that. Corn-wise, there's just a lot of conversations about targets again. Where do you want to you know, price this, what are you looking at? There is some old crop stuff left over that we're chatting about. But to be completely honest, you know, as I work my way through and, and wrap up with wheat harvest, we'll probably be pretty slow if we don't see that market, you know, work its way back up above insurance levels. Um, and if that happens, we'll run into some pretty hefty farmer selling, I imagine. But the other problem I have right now is I'm in Michigan and and uh, we're dealing with the drought. So um, I have... I have uh, you know, guys that were 40, 50% sold on corn that are now maybe 60 to 70%, depending on what it ends up yielding, you know, based on, on what they're looking at. You know, we had a had a really, really wet May, had a lot of replant that we needed to have done over Memorial Day weekend, and that all that corn really hasn't seen a rain since. So um, 
it's kind of ugly out there right now. So it's it's been relatively quiet, but typically August and into September can be a busy time just because you're cleaning up old crop and preparing for what you're going to do on new. Well, thanks for helping us get our thoughts in place as we move into the month of August. Angie Setzer, always enjoy talking to you. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. And again, that was Angie Setzer. And Mike, you know, it's always great to get Angie on here and talking about the markets, you know, get her opinion on things. She really breaks down the markets for us, doesn't she? Absolutely. And I think she's got a great way of looking at things and her enthusiasm is uh, is contagious, I guess I would say. I always get excited talking to Angie, whether it's, whether that's good or bad, you know, remains to be seen. That's for sure. That That positivity is definitely contagious. So, well, Mike, if our listeners want to catch on to some more contagious, positive podcast interviews that we've had in the past, where can they go to for more information? They should always check us out on social media, Facebook and Twitter. Search for Ag News Daily. We'll pop up. Give us your story ideas, your comments, your suggestions. We want to hear them. And if you want to listen to any old podcasts, visit us on the web at www.agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Hannah, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Mike. (laughs) 